Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of Traffic Jam. It's Georgia and I'm here with Isabel. Hi everybody, this is your reminder that January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. And what better to raise awareness than to have meaningful, informed conversations around the topic um, and sharing this information with your friends and family. There really is no better way to raise awareness. Please share this podcast with any of your friends and family who may be unaware of this issue and everything that it encompasses. Additionally, please follow our social media pages as we are trying to build our platform and create more content for everyone to share and stay informed. Those are all linked in our episode description. And if you have any um, ideas or questions of content you want to hear, message us on our uh, Instagram account. We would love to hear more about what topics you are all most interested in. And additionally, in the spirit of Human Trafficking Awareness Month, we are going to be sharing three episodes this month because the weeks fall in lo- all in line in our favor. Talk about meant to be. Our first interview was posted two weeks ago, and this week we are going to touch on something we really haven't gotten into at all, and that is the issue of labor trafficking. Yes, we may have mentioned it once or twice in conversations, but really have never dove into it. So let's get into it. It feels like we haven't touched on definitions in a few episodes, so let's kick this one off by refreshing everyone's mind on what human trafficking is by definition. The definition we will consistently refer back to is the use of force, fraud, or coercion to obtain a person for the use of labor or sex acts. If the person is under the age of 18, force, fraud, and coercion do not need to be present for it to be considered trafficking. This episode is focused on labor trafficking. As we mentioned earlier, we haven't discussed labor trafficking on this podcast, as most of our research is focused on sexual exploitation and abuse. But... As two representatives of an anti-trafficking nonprofit, MISCO, it is pertinent that we talk about all forms of human trafficking. If you didn't listen to our last episode with Solvega Jaskunas, we highly suggest you do because she is an incredible woman and we hope this episode will piggyback off of her interview and her work. For those of you who haven't listened to her interview, Solvega has accomplished a lot in her life, which she spends as an HR professional and mentor helping people from all walks of life obtain their dream jobs. We brought her on to talk about her work and research in Lithuania to emphasize how the kind of work she does is so important, especially in the prevention of labor trafficking from targeted, vulnerable people. And with that being said, we're going to dive into labor trafficking, the forms it takes, and what industries benefit the most from labor trafficking. The Human Trafficking Capacity Building Center has an informational flyer posted online that defines labor trafficking as the exploitation of an individual for financial gain. It involves the use of force, fraud, or coercion to compel a person to provide labor or services against their will. A victim of labor trafficking is not free to make their own basic life choices, such as where and when to work or where to live. The flyer goes on to describe indicators of labor trafficking, which includes the AMP model of identifying trafficking, action, means, and purpose. The action is the what a trafficker does to get their victim and includes recruitment, harboring, transporting, providing, and obtaining. 
The means is the use of force, fraud, or coercion via threats and abuse. And the purpose is the why. Why does a trafficker take and use a victim? And this can include involuntary servitude, debt bondage, peonage, and slavery. And this AMP model has become a common method for identifying human trafficking because if you have one check in each column, you are most likely in observance of a case of human trafficking. Labor trafficking takes many forms, such as domestic servitude, forced labor, and debt bondage. A domestic servitude is a form of labor trafficking in which the trafficker makes the victim work in a private residence. Uh, the Department of State identifies unique vulnerabilities in domestic servitude cases, such as being isolated and having no control over their access to food, transportation, and their housing. They also note that what happens in a private residence is hidden from the rest of the world, and only those behind the closed doors know what's going on. This creates a barrier for law enforcement or anyone in the public to identify victims of domestic servitude. Last episode, we discussed with Solvega how language barriers can be a vulnerability for immigrants coming to the U.S. looking for opportunity. Often immigrants, you know, facing those language barriers and lack of community here can fall victim to domestic servitude. Something I was thinking about from Solvega's interview was how she said it's important to ask for help if you need it. It took her two or three years to find her first job, and she is pretty sure that if she had asked for help, she would have gotten a job a lot faster. She's very proud of her immigrant status, but put a big emphasis on asking for help, especially to a vulnerable population. Right, and really, I think what's so cool about her work is that she took that learned experience of the importance of having community and somebody helping you and became that person for other people um, and helping them, you know, understand and practice the interview process, look for jobs and helped make sure that they were able to secure themselves with a job faster than she did. Because if you don't have work lined up, you can become extremely vulnerable to abuse. Thank you for expanding on that, Isabel. All right, moving on to forced child labor. It's exactly what it sounds like. Children become targeted by traffickers to work. They are targeted because they are a very vulnerable population. The Department of State identified some indicators of forced child labor, which includes situations in which the child appears to be in custody of a non-family member and the child's work financially benefits someone outside of the child's family. Additionally, there can be a denial of food, rest, or schooling to a child who is working. If you want to learn more about forced child labor, we do have a blog posted about this and you could find that in our link below. Yes, definitely go check out um, some of the blogs that we have uh, put up. Children are, you know, definitely one of the most vulnerable populations, as Georgia said. And so it is very important to understand and to recognize that children are victim to forced labor. Now, the third form is debt bondage. Uh, and this occurs when a trafficker's primary means of coercion is debt manipulation. 
The trafficker sometimes targets victims with an initial debt assumed as condition of future employment. Other times, the trafficker tells individuals that they inherited the debt from their relatives and they are the ones who have to pay it off. Traffickers manipulate the situation once the relationship begins by withholding earnings uh, or forcing their victims to assume additional debts for food and housing and transportation, or they can even manipulate debts the victim owes to other people, um, really to try and, you know, they keep them there longer, they're stuck. Debt bondage isn't unique to labor trafficking. Debt bondage can also occur within sex trafficking. And we do have another blog on debt bondage and we may have a potential episode in the future, maybe in the form of an interview that will kind of gloss over this and how it relates to real situations. Yes, we have some very exciting things in the works, everybody. So stay tuned uh, for some different learning opportunities that we are trying to put out. Globally, the International Labor Organization and Walk Free Foundation, in partnership with IOM, estimate that there are 24.9 million people trapped in forced labor, with 16 million victims of labor trafficking in private industry, 4.8 million victims of sex trafficking, and 4.1 million victims of state-imposed forced labor. And Georgia, to clarify really quick, we're talking internationally here, right? Absolutely, yes. Okay. Now, the U.S. Department of Labor identified 148 goods from 76 countries that are produced by forced and child labor. Child labor looks differently depending on the part of the globe uh, where children are enslaved. Several industries benefit from child labor, including the carpet industry, garment industry, brick industry, cocoa industry, and cobalt industry, just to name a few. In Afghanistan, carpet kids sit at carpet looms for up to like 14 hours a day. And these children have little to no education, uh, work with sharp tools to weave carpets, and are often trafficked under threats of violence uh, to work off of family debts. Uh, India, Iran, Nepal, and Pakistan are all other regions uh, reported to use child labor in the carpet industry. 14 hours a day is way too long for a grown adult to be working, let alone a child, and working with sharp tools. That just sounds like a hazard. I have a hard enough time working eight hours. Me too. <laughs> but really, I mean, these individuals, these children, these adults, whoever they are, are put under such strenuous conditions. And uh, like the higher motivation for all of this is production and pr making products to produce more money. The people who are trafficking these individuals do not care about the well-being of these people. They keep them, you know, barely enough to stay alive to do the work, but are not provide with any adequate resources to make a living or life of their own outside of this work. No, their abusers and traffickers just see them as a dollar sign. They're just making them money. So we're going to continue to name a few other industries and where they typically fall globally. 
In Argentina, children are reported to have been trafficked to informal garment workshops with false promises of decent working conditions and fair wages. Often, they arrive at garment shops and their identification documents are taken from them and they live and work within their own workshops. And often, they are way too afraid to leave due to threats of imprisonment. This also happens in Bangladesh, Burma, India, Mexico, Pakistan, Thailand, Turkey, and Vietnam. And again, this is so important too to understand where are your clothes coming from that you're purchasing. And I think one of the reasons why we really want to talk about labor trafficking, and we talked a little bit about this in our Xi'an episode, to be very conscious of where you're putting your money towards, because this, you know, plays a role in the industry. If people are going to buy these products, companies are going to continue to use labor trafficking um, to increase their profits. And so it's very important just to understand uh, the companies that you're purchasing from. Moving on to the brick industry in South Asia, children as young as five years old are forced to work off family debts in brick kilns. They work long hours uh, with their families, stacking bricks and managing donkeys and livestock. Afghanistan, Argentina, Bangladesh, Bolivia, Belize, Burma, Cambodia, China, Ecuador, Egypt, India, Iran, Nepal, Pakistan, Uruguay, Peru, Uganda, Vietnam, and Colombia are all regions to report the use of child labor in the brick industry. That one was like a never-ending list for such a dangerous work environment. I know we said that before with the carpet industry, but when I think of bricks, all I think of is a kid dropping one on their foot, pushing one off a ledge. Just like a standard cartoon image of a brick falling on a character's head, how dangerous that is physically. And your mention of them managing donkeys and livestock as young as five years old. Now, I grew up around horses and we even had a cow at one point, but I wasn't running around or responsible for their livelihood. Exactly. You know, when you're that young, there's other things that you should, you know, be thinking about, you know, learning. Um, And I think really, you know, as we have seen and as we'll continue to see with the next example you're about to bring up, Georgia, this is an all over the world issue. This is not something that's designated to one region, one country, or just a few. This is happening everywhere. Absolutely. And one of the industries that may be more known about when we're talking about child labor is the cocoa industry. Cote d'Ivoire and Ghana produce 60% of the world's cocoa every single year. There are an estimated 1.56 million child laborers on cocoa farms in these two countries. In Cote d'Ivoire, some children are sold by their own parents to traffickers, some are kidnapped, and others fall victim to recruitment schemes. Children are forced to work long hours with little to no pay, And sometimes the payments go directly to the recruiters or the traffickers who take the children to the cocoa farms. Often the children are held against their will on these farms, threatened and physically abused by their quote-unquote employers. They also perform dangerous tasks, tasks on these farms and are exposed to dangerous chemicals in the pesticides and fertilizers that are used. 
Other regions where the cocoa industry benefits from child labor include Brazil, Cameroon, Guinea, Nigeria, and Sierra Leone. Cobalt is used to make rechargeable batteries, high temperature, uh, super alloys, cutting tools, pigments, magnets, and you know, other uses. 70% of the world's cobalt is mined in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, or the DRC. Small scale and artisanal mines are responsible for 15 to 30% of the production of cobalt in uh, DRC which is known to use child labor. Children working in cobalt mines spend long hours in dangerous and exploitative conditions with little to no pay and no opportunities to receive an education. The first thing that pops into my head about cobalt and rechargeable batteries is technology and everything that we use that is powered by a battery, but specifically the big EV movement that's going on right now, electric vehicles. I know it's a green initiative, but those batteries are being made from cobalt, which is another way in which children specifically are labor trafficked around the world. So always keep that in mind when we're talking about economic and social needs. Absolutely. And even, you know, making sure that the electronics that you buy, um, you know, whichever companies you're getting them from, where are they getting their cobalt from? Um, and so it's very important to make sure that, you know, we are trying not to support somebody who is using child uh, labor or any kind of um, forced labor by anybody. Right. The Department of State recognizes that labor trafficking is well, document well documented in the private economy and notes that sex trafficking also occurs in many industries. U.S. law holds any legal person or business that benefits financially from human trafficking liable to their association with trafficking because the person should have known or did know of the legal activities involved. Most recently, the Frederick Douglass uh, Trafficking Victims Prevention and Protection Reauthorization Act of 2018 uh, increased the focus on forced labor by including prevention and pro of labor trafficking in diplomatic households, increased reporting obligations regarding the prohibition of goods produced through forced labor, and requiring the senior policy operating group to establish a working group focused on demand reduction and amend the Child Soldiers Prevention Act to include police or other security forces. In some countries, the law provides corporate accountability in both civil and criminal justice systems. So we know that our government recognizes that labor trafficking, sex trafficking, and human trafficking in general are a big issue, especially around the world, but also within the United States. And there are some laws and policies that are in place and constantly being revised and updated to accommodate for growing needs and growing trends as they gain more information about how human trafficking persists through 2024. And I think it's so important, though, that the government is recognizing that it's not only the people who are trafficking uh, these victims that are guilty, but it is those people who are buying and financially benefiting from the use of labor trafficking and trying to de decrease that demand for it. 
I mean, again, not to, you know, keep harping on the same thing, but going back to our Shein um, episode, people are ordering off of that site so often. Why would Shein stop? Um, You know, they're making probably, I would imagine, so much money um, based on how much people order and how little their workers are actually getting paid. I I agree. (laughs) I almost don't want to repeat everything you just said. And moving into the U.S. specifically, we do want to go over the statistics that we found on child labor trafficking within the United States. Because I know we've mentioned a lot of examples and they have all been international examples, but it happens here as well. It's not just in other countries. Do you want to do it or me? Which who's going first? Why don't you go first? I'll go next. Okay. The Polaris Project, which we refer to pretty often because it's a a great site and project, it manages the National Human Trafficking Resource Center hotline as a part of a partnership with the United States government. It reported that in 2015, 5,973 cases of human trafficking were reported. The majority of calls to the NHTRC over the last Five years continue to be for sex trafficking, with 33% of all sex trafficking reported cases made to the hotline involved children versus 16% of labor trafficking reported cases involving children. Between December of 2008 and March 2017, 1,090 cases of labor trafficking involving at least one minor have been reported to the NHTRC, indicating 20% of labor trafficking cases reported to the NHTRC since it began operating involved minors. While the United States anti-trafficking statutes have codified crimes of both sex and labor trafficking, sex trafficking continues to dominate the narrative of human trafficking in the United States, particularly around children. Sex trafficking investigations and prosecutions continue to outnumber trafficking of children for labor. Uh, One cannot presume that tips, investigations, or prosecutions alone reflect the actual cases, though. A lot of times, some people might think that labor trafficking is very low here in the United States or barely exists um, because we have all these high numbers for sex trafficking. But only because we don't have those numbers we have evidence and case studies of it continuing to occur in the United States. Uh, You know, the long history of various forms of labor exploitation, including indentured servitude, uh, involuntary servitude, debt bondage, and even more recently, labor trafficking cases um, in the United States demonstrate this, um, that they do in fact exist. And there uh, may be other reasons for the lack of identification uh, reporting, investigations, in, and prosecutions of these cases. I want to go back to what you said about the numbers not being a reflection of actual cases. We know this is true for basically every crime out there, but specifically with human trafficking and when we want to narrow it down to labor trafficking, I think it's really important to recognize that human trafficking is happening happening a lot but let's face it 
a labor trafficking headline isn't going to read like a sex trafficking, human trafficking, sex ring headline. Not to say they both aren't brutal, heinous acts, but I feel like it's easier for us to look at sex trafficking and people to gravitate to a headline such as that compared to a labor trafficking headline because it's just not going to, unfortunately, appease the interests or minds or be as shocking for consumers to view. Right. The media is looking for that shock factor um, when they create headlines and the stories that they go after. And so a lot of times you're not going to see the labor trafficking cases, like you said, Georgia, as much as the sex trafficking cases. But they both happen. And let's be very real about that. They happen in the United States. And we found a few examples of some labor trafficking cases. These did make the news. um, And so you might have already heard of them. But for instance, on December 29th, 2022, a federal judge in the U.S. District Court, uh, Middle District of Florida, sentenced Vladimir Moreno, a Barto Farm labor contractor who pled guilty to conspiracy to commit forced labor and racketeering charges. Um, And I believe he got 118 months in prison um, and has to pay $175,000 in restitution to the victims. That's a big payout. Not that you could put a price on life and freedom, but that's a big payout. And can you do the quick math? 118 months is how many years? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not going to make you do it. (laughs) No, I can't. Well, that's a long time regardless, so. I got my calculator here on my phone because now I'm curious. Okay, like 9.8, so like just under 10 years. Okay. And I wonder if he will actually serve the full 9.8. Well, another case, I just Googled labor trafficking United States. I just found a news article from Spectrum One News. It was posted December 15th, 2023. Actually, I lied. It was published November 28th, 2023. And it's titled, Family Falls Victim to Labor Trafficking and Credits Wisconsin Church with Saving Their Lives. And they provide an example of somebody who worked for a consulting company in Texas while him and his wife lived in Bangladesh. After their daughter was born, the employer reportedly offered him the opportunity to work in the U.S., and this was a dream come true. They came to the United States on a temporary work visa, and they claimed after a few weeks living with and working for the employer in Texas, things got bad and out of hand. They called it a really dark time and a horrible situation that they couldn't leave. So basically, we're seeing them a foreigner being offered a work opportunity in the United States. And once they had gotten here, they were living and working with their own employer. So they didn't have their own house or their own land or their own even apartment. And they realized they weren't able to get out of this situation on their own because their employer controlled everything about their American experience. It says the business owners eventually had some financial trouble and planned to close down. And then this man and his family ended up moving to Milwaukee in the dead of winter 
with no belongings and a very small amount of money. I have another example here um, from a news release. Uh, this occurred um, it, this occurred in the summer of 2023, where a federal court sentenced a South Carolina labor contractor, Balcazar Nature Harvesting LLC, and its uh, operators after a U.S. Department of Labor and Multi-Agency investigation found the employers subjected migrant farm workers to exploitative labor, confiscated passports, and housed workers in unsafe and unhealthy conditions. Uh, there were 55 uh, workers, and the court had ordered them to. Uh, the court had ordered the company to pay $500,000 in restitution uh, to those 55 workers. Uh, it was a family. Even the daughter ended up serving two months in prison um, after pleading guilty to fraud and foreign labor contracting as well. And so again, even just from these, you know, these are three relatively recent examples. Um, and it seems as though from what we've read in the, U at least in the U.S., uh, labor trafficking is relatively common in the farming industry. Especially because that's an industry that you get a lot of workers that probably work off the books and it's just a cash exchange or you don't have a lot of I'm not in the agriculture world, but I don't know if there's a lot of inspections on these farms to see what types of conditions employees are actually working under or in a lot of these cases living under. So it can just often get hidden from plain sight. All right, everyone, we had some bad news. We did not prep a conclusion for this week because life has just been a little crazy lately. So let's, I know we usually do our myth, um, but let's just talk about what Human Trafficking Awareness Month means for us and what it means for the average person who may not be aware of these issues. For me, raising awareness around human trafficking is having conversation about what exploitation is with my friends, family, and even my coworkers. Ever since I started diving into research around the subject, I've been able to pick out and notice sexualization, exploitation, and potential grooming a lot more than I had in the past. Honestly, it's like I've even become sensitive to this issue because now I could point it out and my friends or family don't even realize it until I say it out loud. I would say for me, uh, I think that, you know, obviously we should be talking about this every single you know, month. And that's what we try to do with this podcast. But having this dedicated month to this issue is a great way to continue to raise awareness on this issue and have difficult conversations. I've kind of always said that human trafficking almost seemed to be like one of the most dangerous crimes because it's the one crime that it happens in plain sight and people don't notice it. And people don't want to talk about it or address it because it just seems too big, too overwhelming. And it's a sensitive topic. Talking about sexual exploitation makes people very uncomfortable. And so, you know, this issue has continued to grow and to grow. And so I think it's time that we kind of break that, you know, discomfort from talking about this sensitive topic 
and understand that we're not doing anybody any favors. And so, you know, to have these conversations and to raise awareness and put it in front of people's faces, put it all over social media, that this issue exists and it's here in the United States happening to, you know, the children here, the adults here, um, we're all impacted. And again, it's very easy to hide from, especially if, you know, it's not something that has occurred to uh, somebody personally or somebody that, that they know, it's very easy to just ignore but we can't keep ignoring it anymore. Um, and for someone who may not be aware of the issue of human trafficking, you know, their way to raise awareness may be through Googling different topics, reading blog posts, listening to podcasts, following news stories, and even you know, sharing TikToks uh, with their friends and families. Uh, we may say raise awareness uh, we truly do mean being open to learning about the issue and teaching others about human trafficking. We are about halfway through January at this point, and we will be sharing one more episode this month. So everyone, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Please go back and listen to past episodes if you're just finding us and let us know what you want us to explore. We are open to any suggestion. You can do that at the links in the episode description below. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. The best way to contact us is through Instagram. So keep up raising the awareness this month. And we will see you in two weeks. Mm -hmm.